If you have your Bibles this morning, I invite you to open with me to Romans chapter 13. Romans chapter 13, and by God's grace, we're going to get through this this morning. If you've never had vertigo, what it means for me is that I'm a little bit more dipsier than I normally am. Um, that's kind of what, what it means from, from my standpoint. That's saying a lot, I know. Um, so with that said, if, uh, if God really speaks through this message, then it's all God. And if it's bad, then it's my fault. So uh, we'll just we'll leave it at that and go from there. But uh, just this morning we come to God's word and, and just think about where we are. This Tuesday we will celebrate the 241st anniversary of our freedom, of our founding fathers giving to us our national birth certificate, what we call the Declaration of Independence, but what was in all actuality really a declaration of dependence. It was a declaration of dependence upon God. I think of one of our founding fathers, John Adams, who wrote this day, speaking of the day of the signing of the Declaration of Independence, ought to be commemorated as the day of deliverance by solemn acts of devotion to Almighty God. He also wrote later on, the general principles upon which the fathers achieved independence were the general principles of Christianity. He says, I believed and now believe that those general principles of Christianity are as eternal and immutable as the existence and attributes of God. So this morning, almost 241 years removed um, from these declarations, I want us to to focus today on an issue that affects the church in our world today, and that is our responsibility as Christian citizens in the world that we live in. And we kind of took this on about a year and a half ago, and I just felt compelled by God to kind of, again, um, bring this to our, our, our attention, to, again, just focus here. I'm just going to say some of the things that you're going to hear today are going to rub against your sense of patriotism, but I pray in a very good way to remind you that your trust is not in this country. Your trust is in God and God alone. And remember last week we were talking about foundations, what our foundation should be. And I am here to tell you today that if our trust is not in him, then we are trusting in sinking sand. We are trusting in that which will not last forever. And just, just think about being citizens of the United States some 240 years later from what we just heard and we didn't, I think when we think about the country that we now live in, we have to be honest and admit that sometimes it seems as though the fabric of our nation is unraveling, as though the ceiling is collapsing, the foundation is cracking, or as if the light at the end of the tunnel has been turned off. It, it just feels that way. But we think about where we have been as a country what we have seen, and we can say that God has indeed shed His grace upon us. He has shed His grace upon us, yet we have not always responded rightly to His grace. I was reminded this week of a church sign that read, hear this, how do we expect God to continue to bless our nation when we continue to legalize what He has called sin? How can we expect God to bless us when we legalize what God has himself called sin? And we in this room today are called to walk a thin line, knowing, first of all, that we are pilgrims of this world, that we are citizens of another world. Yet, at the same time, we are called to be good citizens here, even when chaos seems to rule the day. We're called to be good citizens. So this morning, I want us to look at how 
how the Bible says we are to interact with, with government and what that might look like in the, the days to come for us. And I know that there is an ongoing tension um, when it comes to our leaders and to us as citizens. There's times that I wish we could take all of Washington and just ship them off somewhere um, far, far from here. But I also know that from a biblical standpoint, having authority over us is a whole lot better than the alternative. In fact, I think about Richard Halverson, the late Presbyterian minister, who once said this. Just listen to these words. To be sure, men will abuse and misuse the institution of the state just as man, because of sin, has abused and misused every other institution in history, including the church of Jesus Christ. But this does not mean that the institution is bad or that it should be forsaken. As a matter of fact, it is because of this very sin that there must be human government to maintain order in history until the final and ultimate rule of Jesus Christ. For human government is better than anarchy. What a true statement that is. Human government is far better than anarchy. And now I'm not saying that we don't have reasons to be suspicious of our government. I'm not saying we don't have reasons to question our government. But just understand this. The right alternative to suspicion of our government is not complete and utter trust and worship of our government. So this morning, what I want to do, and this is going to, like I said, this is going to maybe great at some of our patriotism today, and I'm not trying to do that, and I pray that you'll hear my heart, but sermon today, our title today is America's Tainted Trust. And let me just say this, and I don't often try to give my opinion, but let me just put this in here, and then we're going to dive into the Word and just stay there. I believe there was a time, sometime, I don't know when, where what happened in in America is we began as a church to sit back and let Washington do all of what we are called to do for us. That we somehow thought that the, the president and the government were religious figures sent to, to care for the poor and to spread the gospel and to um, legislate morality all across our world. So we set back just trusting our government to do what God has called us to do. And somewhere along the way, it went completely haywire. Somewhere along the way, we sat back as a church expecting them to spread morality, and it didn't happen. All the while, God was looking at us, the church, saying, I never intended for them to be the light of the world. I intended for my children in the world to be the light of the world. And so, therefore, sometimes darkness has spread because we have thought that sinful man would do what God has called us, his children, to do. So this morning I want us to look at, in light of Romans 13, what our responsibility is in this world, but ultimately what our responsibility is before God, and how those two, by His grace, go together. So if you're able to, I'm going to ask you to join me um, as we honor God's Word in standing. We're going to read verses 1 through 7, and then like I said, we're going to jump into the Word. So beginning at verse 1, it says this, Paul writes, Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. 
Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes. For the authorities are ministers of God attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed. Revenue, revenue to whom revenue is owed. Respect to whom respect is owed. Honor to whom honor is owed. And let's pray together. Father, we come before you now. Lord, just looking to you, looking to your word. Um, God, just praying that you would show us today if there's any trust in our lives that, that is not resting upon you and you alone. And Lord, help us to repent and forsake that, God, and help us to trust solely in you. While at the same time, God, thanking you for the freedoms that you have given to us and using those freedoms not to sit back and do nothing, but to use those freedoms, God, to be light and to be salt in this world. God, just speak, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. And you may be seated. So one of the questions I kind of want to lay in your lap this morning from the beginning is, is this. Is it possible for our patriotism to turn into idolatry? Is it possible for our patriotism to turn into idolatry? Is it possible to get to a place where we trust our nation, where we trust in our resolve as a nation, where even we trust our government more than we trust God? Is it possible? And I think if we're going to be honest, we have to say it is absolutely possible. It is possible for that to happen. Oftentimes it's possible for us to profess allegiance to God while our lives tell a different story by which we worship or trust in things that we shouldn't trust in, which are anything founded in us or anything founded by us. So what I want to do this morning, in light of Romans 13, I want us to unpack um, three truths that we must hear when it comes to God and country, when it comes to our place in this world as Christian citizens. So the first truth is this. Government is a gracious gift from God to the world. Government is a gracious gift from God to the world. And that might sound like a crazy statement, but God's word said it first. So just so you know, God's word said it first. In fact, we're about to read it once again, but just follow with me here. The first truth I kind of want to unpack here is this. All governing authority is given by God. It's all given by God. Verse 1 of Romans 13. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted or given by God. So the picture here is that governments were instituted by God because they are good for us. What a tidal wave of evil would break out all over this world if there were no civil authorities to restrain us from evil. If there were no laws to restrain us, evil would break out all across this world. And there, this is where we need to see that God has established every government, get this, even the bad ones. 
God has ordained them. Whether we live in America or Cuba or China or North Korea, God has ordained governments all across this world. And this truth includes bad governments because the Bible tells us over and over again about wicked kings that God guided into office. Think about this. Think about Jeroboam who rebelled against Solomon's son Rehoboam and he led the people of Israel into idolatry, into a worship of false gods. Yet 1 Kings 12, 15 says of him, says of his reign, it was a turn of affairs brought about by the Lord that he fulfill his word. So even this evil king, it was brought about by God. Or think about this, Nebuchadnezzar. We've been reading in Daniel um, this past week in our Bible reading plan. Nebuchadnezzar, a pagan king, Babylonian king who destroyed Jerusalem. Yet in Jeremiah 27, the Lord calls Nebuchadnezzar my servant. Or think about Pilate. This Roman governor who allowed Jesus to be crucified had an interesting exchange with Jesus in John 19. And Jesus answered Pilate and said this, You would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given to you from above. So even Jesus looks at Pilate and says, The authority that you have has been given to you by God and you wouldn't have it unless God gave it to you. So just, just think about this. All leaders, all rulers are under the control of God. He put them in office and he can take them out of office. And every believer, all of us in this room, every believer across this world is to be continuously subject to the authorities, even if the authorities are as wicked and depraved as even Nero. I mean, think about this. Nero was the emperor in power when Paul wrote um, Romans Chapter 13, Nero's reign brought very dark days for Christians. And in Fox's Book of Martyrs, here's how it describes the scene of Nero. In AD 67, Nero ordered the burning of Rome. The fire lasted for nine days, and when the blame turned to Nero, he blamed the Christians. He then came at the Christians with a new vengeance. Nero contrived all manners of punishment for the Christians that the most infernal imagination could design. In particular, he had some Christians sewed up in skins of wild beasts, and then they were attacked by dogs until they expired. And others were dressed in shirts made stiff with wax. They were fixed to the stakes and then set on fire in Nero's gardens in order to illuminate his gardens. This persecution was general throughout the whole Roman Empire. In the course of it, St. Paul and St. Peter were both martyred. Yet Paul's declaration and even Peter's declaration was this, God put Nero where he is and I will subject myself to his authority. That's, that's what Paul and Peter both said. God put him there and I will subject myself to his authority. So we have to understand this picture that all governing authority is given by God. But then secondly, all governing authority is protected by God. So governing authority is protected by God. Verse 2 tells us, Whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed. And those who resist will incur judgment. So just, just think about this. Civil authority is God's chosen instrument to govern the world of men, and God will protect it because he is over it. In Matthew 22, there is an interesting um, exchange where the Pharisees come to Jesus in order to trap him. 
They ask him a question. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? And we all know how Jesus answers the question. Jesus says, show me a coin. Whose image is on it? They say Caesar. So then Jesus says, give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar. And then he says, give to God what belongs to God. And the great question of, or the great answer to that question is not, or the or question that comes from that is not, well, what belongs to Caesar? The great question is, what belongs to God? Jesus said, give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar. Give to God what belongs to God. So therefore, here's the question, what belongs to God? And the answer is this, get this, everything belongs to God. Everything. Caesar belongs to God. Everything that Caesar has belongs to God. The entire state of every nation on the planet has its authority only under the sovereignty of God. It's given by God. Weirdly enough, it's protected by God. And there are so many puzzling um, questions here that we won't get into for the sake of time. So many things that will leave us to scratch our heads over why would God allow some of the things that happen? Yet this truth must not be diminished. Government is a gracious gift from God to the world. Which leads us to the second truth. Government helps to display the glory of God to the world. So government helps to display the glory of God to the world. And for some, I know this is beginning to get really, really weird. Because how in the world can we talk about government? Government. And then also talk about the glory of God. How can we combine the two? And just, just think with me here how God does this as far as us as Christian citizens in this world. First of all, we submit to authority out of reverence to God. So we submit to authority because we revere God. We have been called out of darkness. We've been called into marvelous light. So because of that, we want to do everything for the glory of God. We even want to do citizenship well for the glory of God. We want to live in our context for His glory. Therefore, as Paul says in Romans 13, 7, we want to pay everything that's owed. We want to pay taxes to whom taxes is owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. We want to even pay fishing and hunting license to who they're owed. We keep our seatbelts fashioned because it's the law. We keep our tags up to date. And by the grace of God, we stay under the speed limit all for the glory of God. I know some of you, I'm pushing it here, and some of you, I'm stepping on some toes right about now. Um, I'm not even going to begin to question how our mission team flew in and left Miami at five or 12 o'clock um, this morning and got here at 5.15. I'm not even going to begin to question how that happened, but I'm going to say we are called to do all things for the glory of God. But think about this. We are called to submit to government, not for our sake, but for God's sake. In 1 Peter 2, Peter writes these words, Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, for this is the will of God. For we're, we're not submitting because the government has, a, or has claim to us. We're not submitting because we're theirs. We're submitting for the Lord's sake. We render allegiance to our government because we recognize that there is an authority that reigns over our government, and his name is God. And therefore, we recognize that. We recognize that um, 
God is in control. And we want to give glory to him by submitting to the rule and the place where he has placed us. But at the same time, we also recognize that authorities that God allows to reign over people does not always reward good and punish the bad. I love what Paul says here. And think about what Paul's doing. Paul is writing these words knowing that Nero, who was a madman, would get a hold of these words and he would read them. And he would find out what is this guy up to. So Paul is being very clear here saying to the Christians, it's our job to submit to authority. And then he adds, hey, it's it's the authority's job to make sure that they reward the good and punish the bad. So Paul is kind of sending a message to Nero in these words, but we also know that we live in a world where our government doesn't always do that. They don't always punish the bad. They don't always reward the good. In fact, sometimes they punish the good and reward the bad. And it leads us to to scratch our, our heads. Therefore, and let me just say this very humbly, there will be times in this backwards and sinful world where our submission to our government will have limits. Which leads us to the next truth. So not only do we submit to the authority out of reverence to God, sometimes we resist authority because of obedience to God. So there might come a time, brothers and sisters, we we will have to resist authority because of obedience to God. I think of the words in Acts 5 where the high priest come to Peter and John and they said this, We strictly charge you not to teach in this name, yet here you have Fill Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered, I love this, we must obey God rather than men. Millions of Christians throughout history and many millions of Christians throughout our world today have lived and live under civil authority that forbid for them to do what God commands. And sometimes they even command them to do what God forbids. And let me be very clear. When it comes to what the Bible describes all the way throughout, and when it comes to what the Bible commands all the way throughout, if a law in our society commands us to do what God forbids or forbids us to do what God commands, then we break that law out of obedience to God. We break it out of obedience to God. There might come a day in my life, and it scares me, that what we do here on Sunday morning might be deemed as hate speech because we say that there is one way. And it might be deemed as hate speech, but here is the reality. We will obey God rather than men. We will obey him and him alone. I think of the words of of Charles Colson who said, rightly exercise civil disobedience is divine obedience. But when Christians engage in such activities, hear this, it must always be to demonstrate their submissiveness to God, not their defiance to government. So therefore, if the time comes, brothers and sisters, where we must disobey, we don't disobey for the sake of defiance. We disobey for the sake of obedience to God. We say we recognize your authority, but we recognize there is a higher authority, and we submit to him. And let me just give you a few biblical examples. Daniel, 
was forbidden to pray to God for 30 days. And I love what Daniel 6 says. The second he gets and reads the command, he goes straight home. He opens his windows and he kneels down and he prays to God. And then it says this, because that's what he had always done. Nothing of what the government told him mattered because he was called to pray and seek God. Therefore, he sought God. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in Daniel chapter 3 were commanded to bow down and worship a golden image or be thrown into a fiery furnace. And they said, you can do whatever you want to to us, but we're not going to bow. We will not bow our knee except to one, and that is God alone. Or think about the Hebrew midwives in Exodus 1 who were commanded by Pharaoh to murder baby boys in Egypt. By the grace of God, these Hebrew midwives said, no, no, we will not. We will not do this. We will not participate in killing what God has gifted to us. And I wouldn't plan on saying this, but let me just say this. May we never, ever, ever miss an opportunity to stand up for life. May we never miss an opportunity to stand up for the fact of, of the matter is, we, Satan is so evil and so demented that he is, he is willing to send a million babies a year who are aborted to heaven in order to make a million murderers here on earth a year. He's willing to do that. He's willing to allow millions of babies to go into heaven so that he can make millions of murderers here on earth. And we see this all across the, the landscape of our system. And you know what we need? We need to be the Hebrew midwives that stand up and go, no. Not, not in my presence is this going to, to happen. And then think about Peter and John who were commanded to stop preaching in Jesus' name and the gospel. And they said, no, we will obey God and not man. So the, the point is clear. When a secular government tries to force the people of God by law or even, even by threat to disobey God, our biblical response is that we obey God. Amen. We do. Do not bow our knee even to the decree of a madman. And we submit to God even to the point of death, all for the glory of God. For when it comes to the laws of man, hear this, when it comes to the laws of man and when it comes to the glory of God, only one of them lasts forever. And it, it is not the laws of man. It is the glory of God. Therefore, let's live for that which will last forever. Let us live for the glory of God. I think of the words of John Piper who said, The danger of our soul from unjust government is nowhere near as great as the danger to our soul from the pride that kicks against God. No mistreatment or unjust law has ever sent anyone to hell. But pride and rebellion is what sends everyone to hell who doesn't have a savior. So no matter what our leaders might be and what punishments our, our government might render, their power cannot compare to the power of God. Amen. Nor can their punishment compare to the punishment of, of God. And I think the last truth is going to help drive this point home as far as our, our trust and where it is. So we have seen that government is a gracious gift from God to the world, that government helps to display the glory of God to the world. And then lastly, government is excluded by God as the hope of the world. 
So government is excluded by God as the hope of the world, meaning that God has said that is not your hope. That is not your trust. In fact, truth number one, our hope will never be found in government. Our hope will never be found in government. Psalm 146 says, Put not your trust in princes and a son of man in whom there is no salvation. When this breath departs, he returns to the earth. On that very day, his plans will perish. Blessed is he whose hope or whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God. Or as Psalm 20 says, Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. There is a reality for us to grasp. Our hope is not in government. Our hope is not in military might. Our hope is not in our riches as a nation. Our hope must be in the Lord and in the Lord alone. And and those who have, think about this, our hope must be in God. And some of us in this room, God has allowed us to see the desperation of the world around us. I think of some in the military here. You've seen the desperation of a poverty-stricken world that we live in. And therefore, because you've seen it, you're able to grasp what I'm about to say. But just follow with me here. We in our country have operated in a type of, of liberty that has been so excessive at times that we are completely unaware of how blessed we are. We're unaware. We seldom understand the total absence of freedom experienced by so many around the world. I remember my first trip in India. I almost got myself in trouble so many times because I would say Jesus or I would say missions or I would say, and every time I would say it, they would go, Shh, be quiet. We can't say that. You can't because you will put the missionaries in danger. You got you to gotta be careful. And it's like, I'm not used to that. I'm not used to, I'm just used to being able to, if I want to say Jesus, I'm going to say Jesus. But I, I'm not used to that picture. So with that, so let me say this. And maybe I'm just determined to get myself in trouble today. And, and maybe that's it. But, but let, me just, let me just go a step further and step out on the ledge here. I love this country. I love living in this country. I am so thankful for the freedoms that we are able to enjoy. And I am so thankful first for men and women who have given the ultimate price to pay for our freedom. And I'm also thankful for men and women even today that continue to sacrifice and serve in order to protect our freedoms. So thankful for that. I cannot stress that enough. I believe that America is one of the greatest gifts of God to the world. I believe that. And then I say this, but, and you knew a but was coming, but... I have not and I cannot put my trust in America. I have not and cannot put my trust in this democratic republic. I have not and cannot put my hope and trust in the declaration or the constitution. And this is what seems so shocking to to so many Americans is the fact that, and please hear me, like I said, if I get myself in trouble, this is going to be where I'm going to do it. We, the USA, the United States of America, we are not the crowning achievement of all of God's work throughout history. 
the establishment of our nation is not the central act in all of history. Let me just go ahead and, and just burst your bubble. God does not have July 4th, 1776 highlighted on his calendar as if that's the greatest thing he's ever done. And I know that might not be popular, but the gospel compels me to expose any false trust that we might have that might not be him. So here's a good question. If the United States of America is not the pinnacle work of God throughout all of time, then what is it? And this is where I say, I'm glad you asked, because I'm about to tell you what it is. And this is where we can answer with so much confidence, so much hope, and so much joy, get this, that the cross of Jesus Christ and his resurrection from the dead is the pinnacle of all of God's work and is the central act in all of history. So what is God's pinnacle work? It's not us, it's Jesus. Therefore, we're not the hope of the world. Jesus is the hope of the world. And he'll be the hope of the world tomorrow. And he'll be the hope of the world next week. And he'll be the hope of us forever and ever and ever. And all God's people said, Amen. So our hope will never be found in government, which leads us to the last truth. Our hope will forever be found in God. Forever be found in God. You know, I don't know if you know this, I, I, and I'm going to state this with, with the obvious, that, of course, um, when the Bible was first written, it was not written in chapters and all these verses put down. That was done later on. But something very interesting happens. When you take all the verses in the Bible and you divide by two, you come to the center verse in all the Bible. So the verse, the, the center verse in all the Bible, when you take all the verses, the, the verse that stands in the center of all of them is Psalm 118 and verse 8. And it might just be a coincidence that this is the center verse, or it might just be the fact that God does nothing by coincidence. But it says this, It's better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. If that's going to be a central verse, that's a pretty good one. Amen? It's better to trust in God than to put your trust in man. It's better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. And what a great way to end our time together. Because government is not the hope of the world. America is not the hope of the world. God is the hope of the world. And as I said from the beginning, our fabric of our nation seems to be unraveling. The ceiling of our nation seems to be collapsing. The foundation of our nation seems to be cracking. Yet, and this is where I put a smile on my face because there's good news for us. The word of God tells us that God in Christ is holding us together. Amen. Therefore, we're not unraveling. And the Bible tells us that the, the ceiling of Christ is inexhaustible. It goes on and on and on, and there is no collapse of his ceiling. And get this, his foundation can't be cracked. His foundation cannot be thwarted. His foundation will stand forever. Therefore, we are not trusting in anything made by man. Our trust and our hope is, is and forever will be in the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and he is worthy of our trust. Amen. He's worthy of our trust. And one day Christ will come and every injustice and every wrong will be made right. Amen. But until that day comes, our desire is to glorify him through obedience, through submission to our government ordained by him. And we're going to do it all for his glory, knowing, and this is where I'm, I'm going to throw my words one, one last time up here, knowing this. 
We submit to human authority because of a higher authority. Government is not God. We can say God is God. We do not worship government. We worship God. Government is a gift from God, but is not God. We will give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar, and we will give to God what belongs to God. And just so we're clear, Caesar belongs to God. And so, therefore, everything we do will be done for the glory of the one who has saved us, who holds us, and will one day bring us to himself. That way we can sing some glad morning when this life is over. I will fly away. Amen. May we look forward to that hope. May we love and thank God for the freedom that we have here. But may we not use our freedom, according to Galatians 5, to serve ourselves. But may we use our freedom to serve the one who has given us a greater freedom. A freedom from sin. A freedom from shame. A freedom from death. May we serve him with every fiber of our being, all for his glory. And all God's people said... If you can stand this morning, we're going to enter into a time of invitation and consecration. And I pray today, I pray, I pray above all things that God is just encouraging us in this moment to trust him like never before. Things are shifting and shaking, but God isn't and he will not. He will not. Let's trust him. I'm going to call Brother Frank and the musicians forward as we enter into a time of invitation and, and consecration. And let us pray. Father, we come before you, and God, you are worthy of trust. You're worthy of our submission, God. We recognize, Lord, that there are things and aspects of this world by which, God, we are called to submit, Lord, and bring you glory in as we submit. But there are also things, God, in this world where we are commanded to do what you tell, what you tell us not to do. Or we're forbidden to do what you tell us to do. And in those moments, God, may we obey you rather than man. May we have the, the courage of Daniel. Courage of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. The courage of those Hebrew midwives. May we have the courage of Peter and John to say we will obey God rather than man. God, just give us that courage, Lord. But God, help us not to do it for defiance sake but help us to do it for obedience's sake. That we have been bought with a price that we are yours. Above everything else, God, we are yours. Above our citizenship here, God, we have a citizenship in heaven with you. And that is what we look most forward to. That there will be a day, God, that you will make every wrong right. There will be a day unlike what this world and what this nation could ever offer us. There will be a day, God, that we will live in a place free from sin, from suffering, from sickness, from death. And we look forward to that day and because of that we say, come Lord Jesus. Come Lord Jesus. Our hope is in you. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.